we can bring the statistics and facts up all day, but it's not going to change how you, how they're looking at you. It's not going to fix the struggle. It's not going to change. The statistics aren't going to change unless we change it. If these walls could talk, they tell you about my life Let's get into the heart of the matter in black and white No second chances, no opportunities in sight Cause dreams of escaping is boosting my appetite What's the American dream? White picket fences, couple kids, couple bands is the American scheme If you're from where I'm from, and they be burying teens and burying dreams Really some embarrassing things Institutional change, generational things Systematic oppression, generational pain Welcome to the show where we break it down for you, man. Cause if we don't talk about it, then these things will never change. You claim to be an outlaw, you really feeling us. But is equality worth that privilege you giving up? Look yourself in the mirror and ask yourself. Is my equality worth that privilege you giving up? Welcome to the heart of the matter in black and white with Becky Holloway and Essence Rebels. Today, we will be discussing being Black in America from both a male and female perspective. Well, today we have the privilege of having more guests join our show today. We have Tierra, we have Craig, and I guess we start ladies first, right, Craig? Tierra, please tell us about yourself, introduce yourself, and tell us why you wanted to join us today and what your experience has been being Black in America. Hi, so my name is Tierra Farmer. Um, I'm a nurse. I'm a registered nurse. I've been a nurse for eight years now, and I'm currently in grad school for uh, to be a nurse practitioner. And I wanted to join because I listen to the podcast regularly, and I just wanted to be a part of it because I feel like it really makes a difference and um it's engaging and I wanted to be a part of the movement. My experience as a black woman in America has been, I would say challenging partly because um, I work in the healthcare field and I feel that I'm constantly being challenged, uh, being, co- <laughs> being questioned of like what school I went to or you know, what my plans are or how I know a certain person Yes, it's always like you have to establish credibility or explain who your circles are. Thank you for pointing that out, Tierra. Thank you. Craig? Okay, so um, I'm Craig Bell, guys. Um, I'm 34. Um, I'm a a realtor in New Jersey. I'm single dad. My son is seven. He'll be eight. You know, I'm I'm a Capricorn, so I know a lot of people are in the Zodiacs. (laughs) Um, The reason of of joining... um, Obviously, number one is support of my sister and best friend Essence. Um, I I would love to say that I was I'm a regular listener, um, but I have no excuse behind that work. You know, being a dad, just being pulled in so many directions. I I know I do take the the time to listen. Essence will send me some things, and from what I have heard, um, is is so informative and it's so it's it's needed. Like these kind of conversations are. The elephant in the room that a lot of people don't want to talk about and a lot of people are, I, don't, I guess, afraid or not sure how to address some of these questions and some of these scenarios that, you know, we go through. Um, so that was my purpose of wanting to join, just to be a voice, share some of my experiences. Um, and as, as, an, as a black male in America, what my experience is like is similar to Tierra. The word is challenging. Um, you know, just trying to navigate this world. Um, trying to be, uh, you just, just wanting to be a good man. But the challenging part is uh, maybe I didn't know how to be a good man. I, I didn't have the right examples to grow up and, and show me the proper steps. Like it wasn't an ABCD. It wasn't something right in my face to say it was an easy path. So to this day, I still struggle with certain things that I feel if I, if I had certain things in my life at an early age, I may not have the issues that I'm, I'm going through now whether if it's in business, being a parent, um, dating women, um, you know, across the board. I think, Craig, that's that's really interesting that that you're saying that because you you never know if the issues that you're facing, is it because, you know, just the person I'm dealing with, that's the way they treat everybody? Or, you know, I'll take myself as an example, like, 
you know, sometimes I'll experience something. I'm like, am I being treated this way? Cause I'm a woman, right? You have that doubt in your mind of is, is what I'm facing because of these things that are, you know, are really important part of who I am, or is it just, you know, because some situations are hard and the, that's, you know, those are the many layers that we've talked about over all the different episodes that we've had. And, and Craig, I, I have to tell you, I'm a Capricorn too, and I, I do like the Capricorn. So welcome. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. So um, let's, let's kick things off on a positive note. Um, and we'll start with you, Tiara. What would you say are some of your favorite things about Black culture? Um, I love that we are resilient as a people um, and very similar. And I noticed that recently I went to work for FEMA in California three months ago. And I was there with people from North Carolina, Georgia, uh, all over the country. And it was interesting that we had certain things that I just had, all I did was look at one of the girls or just little nuances or little things that we would say that I'm like, oh, you know that too, you know? And I, 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 of course she knows that she's a, she's a black woman, just like I am, but I just assumed, you know, living in my small town in New Jersey, that just myself and my circle, like we laughed at these certain things. So I think it's funny, like, for example, Martin, like we all know certain episodes from Martin or certain phrases. And so I really love that we have that uh, you know, we have Black Twitter, like we have that. <laughs> <laughs> you, you taught me about Black Twitter. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we have these things that only we know that yeah. we are able to relate. Craig, what about you? So I would say, Essence would tell you, I, I love I love the dance. <laughs> um, so I, I love the, the our culture, our music, um, the body language. I mean, it comes from so many, like it's historical reasons on, on why we have so much culture in, in, in our dance. It's like an expression. Um, so dance, food, I'm, I'm a big, I'm a foodie. So I'm, I love, you know, Caribbean food, West Indian, like African food, uh, you, you name it, I'm, I'm gonna go try it. And uh, our, you know, we, we have our, our roots are, are deep in food, um, art. Um, I put down that we're innovators. Um, over a few years, I did like, I found out that I had a kidney condition, right? And it caused me to want to look into why, what caused me to have this condition? And one of the statistics that was pointed out to me is that um, what I have, it's very rare, but if they find it, it's 90%, normally it's going to be in a black male, a young black male. So I was wondering like, what, why is that? Why do one, why, why is that even recorded? Two, what do I have in common with other black males for me to have this non-hereditary, you know, it just happened to me for no, no apparent reason. You know, and it, it caused me to dive into historical things about people who look like me going back into Africa, ancient times from the beginning of times. I learned that we invented a lot of things that we don't get credit for. Um, it just took me down a wormhole that I would love. I'm going to share all this stuff with my kids, grandkids and everybody. Stuff that we weren't taught in school, I found out on my own. I'm talking about after college. So that's what I love about my people. So this is a question that I have presented to Black colleagues that I worked with when we formed a affinity resource group or employee resource group. They're called different things at different companies, but it's basically an opportunity for you to be able to bring awareness to your culture. So this is the same question that we talked about, and we actually formulated a video from it. And the, the question was, what do you love about being Black in America? And I will never forget this, the, the first comment, we kick off the video and this gentleman says, being black is so dope. And I, th those words just continue to resonate through my mind and my spirit because he's absolutely right. I mean, yes, we absolutely, to me, I live in this black skin every day. So to me, it is most difficult to be black in America. And despite that, we still are able to, as Craig just said, so many different cultures pull from what we have generated and what we've created. So rock music, for one, that's one that always surprises me, that rock music stems from Black culture. 
So it's just, and as you think about, um, uh, I don't know if, if uh, our guests have had the opportunity to explore the National Museum of African American History and Culture in Washington, D.C., but I've been there about four or five times. And throughout it, yes, you start on the, on the if you start on the bottom level, it starts with, the, with slavery and just the different struggles, but you end at such a state of pride of what the culture represents. So there is so much to reflect on and to be positive about and to be proud about as an African-American, um, though, though we have our challenges. So Craig, I wanna, I wanna bring this back to you because you said something about not having the example to, to grow from, to learn from as a man, as a, as a um, future husband, as a father. So what do you say to the people that would say to that, that those problems that the black community faces, that's our fault. It is our fault and we are the ones, so things like black on black crime and we are the ones that cause all of these problems that we and barriers we have to overcome. What's your response to that? Well, I'm, uh, I got a hard stance for something like that. And the reason why I mentioned the fact of, of a Zodiac that I'm a Capricorn. I've learned about my sign where I've been told by friends, I don't cut people slack. I don't, I'm not big with waiting on help. You know, if you say it's my fault and I'm gonna say, yeah, it's my fault, I'm gonna fix it. So I, if somebody told me that, naturally my mind is, what some people could say is, well, it's not all our fault because there's a lot of factors that cause that woman to be single. Um, that a lot of people, if you're not educated and you don't look into the history behind, just trace the dollars, you'll figure out why or who was behind, who was the puppet master for the, the uh, drugs in America or who flooded the streets with alcohol back during prohibition to make it now legal, who lined their pockets with money during the illegal times and now why it's legal when our families were destroyed and we, we still haven't recouped from that. No one will acknowledge the repercussions of what, what was caused to our families. I know that. I grew up in it. But instead of crying about it now, because it's been going on for so long and my past, you know, past my grand, grandmother. So we're talking almost four generations. Why do I want to sit and continue to cry and kumbaya about the same thing for the past four generations? I'll rather say, hey, let's come up with solutions. So my solution is that. Me, I was a young male who, it was a problem. I didn't have a male figure to really be uh, uh, vocal and help me help steer my path. How do I fix that? Well, you have a community. You know, if, if you're lucky enough and you, you know, like I was, I opened myself up to the community where I had some dads in my friends' households or, you know, uh, uh, group meetings where I, I became part of a youth to leader summit where it was a bunch of, young black males that were just like myself, but we surrounded ourselves with older black males and we, I, I kind of like, they were idols. I, I wanted to do what they did. And it helped remove me from, I guess, like the street aspect of what our neighborhoods are normally like. Uh, we all have our struggles, but I feel as though like my friends, my, my small nucleus of friends who had the same issues growing up in a single parent household with a strong mom, you always hear that our moms were strong. We, we had a way that we, we gravitated towards each other and people came to us to give us guidance. And, you know, the, when they say the, the, something about the student, when the student is ready, the teacher appears. My, my small nucleus of friends just so happen to be good students to absorb good qualities from, from good men. And, but we're still learning. You know, I, I'm personally still learning. I, I learn from some of my older friends now. I was the youngest of a group of, Essence's husband, I believe, is Carl's two or three years older than me, which is it's been like a brother to me. I've been best friends with basically his group of friends, and they're all a lot older than me. And I've learned a lot from them. They've learned from me sometimes, but we all just kind of learn from each other through our experiences. Here, I'll repeat the question. So, as you're as you're responding to how you know some some people say, oh, you know, it's the it's the black community's fault that you know, you, you are without, right? Like you, maybe you grew up in a single 
you know, parent household, or you don't have money or education or whatever, and that and that's your fault. How how would you respond to those accusations? Um, simply facts. Uh, you know, a lot of times this this is documented. Um, the reason there's a lot of things there's redlining. There's you know a lot of people don't even know about that, or or a lot of um, fathers were kicked out of the home so the mother could remain on welfare or be able to pay for her housing or keep food stamps. So there's so many different things that were put in place. And so when I do get that rebuttal from people, I just bring out statistics and facts because that's simply what it is. I'll say sometimes and Tierra, like I'm with you with that. And I'm, and I, when I'm around my friends, Essence will tell you, like I, I frustrate them sometimes because I, I push the envelope because it's like, we can bring the statistics and facts up all day. But it's not going to change how you, how they're looking at you. It's not going to fix the struggle. It's not going to change. The statistics aren't going to change unless we change it. That's true. They, yeah. They, like like in my in my world, I know you guys have seen the article um, shared. It's, it's happened multiple times within 2020 and 2021, where sellers are looking for an appraisal. They'll, they'll yes. contact an appraiser. He comes out, and it's like it's. Hundreds of thousand dollars. That's a difference. Oh, yes. I did see that. It's still happening today. So I got to. So I'm married. We got all our family pictures up. So I got to go around and get my friend who's white. I'll go. Rebecca, I'm coming to pick up your family's pictures just for the day to hang up in our house just so we don't. Our appraiser doesn't give us a value of one hundred thousand dollars less than what it's crazy. Neighbor is going to get. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and and these are the things that, that Essence and I talk about on the podcast. It's all of these really subtle little things that, you know, I don't think the average white person has any awareness of, right? Like they don't know that that's a thing that they would, we never have to think about that, right? If we sell our house, you just sell your house, right? Like you don't have to think about, Oh wow, are my family pictures going to be perceived a certain way? And and this is the essence of privilege, right? This is what it is to to never have to go around in in a world and think about every little move you make and how other people are going to perceive it. Yeah, and and Rebecca, the way I look at it again, like so instead of crying about that, the way I, how I'm saying it it's happened once, it happened multiple times this year. It's going to keep happening. My mind, solution. How do I fix it? Well, start educating Black people about what does it take to become an appraiser, a licensed appraiser, so we can make, we can create an evil, uh, even playing field. Yeah, that's a, you, that's a great, great point there. There you go. Because I, I know my people, we're going to be fair no matter what. Like we, we're not going to come turn around and start doing the same thing that was being done to us. We just want to create a fair playing field. And there's no way we can do that if, we're not educated enough to go, you know, take the steps, go to school, become an appraiser and gain those credentials. Yeah. So we're starting to get into some of the meat of this conversation. And, you know, we started off with the things that you love, but I'm, I'm going to go there and I'll start with you, Tiara. What are some of those, cha- you talked about the challenges that you face, right? Like in healthcare, what are some of the challenges that you've dealt with throughout your lifetime simply because you're a black woman in America? Um, I would say that I feel like I am constantly walking around with like physical stress. Like I, I feel like I do yoga and when I do yoga, I take a deep breath and I want to kind of do that with my life and I just, I can't. And so if you can imagine walking around your whole life, just feeling just uneasy is how I feel. And in any space that I'm in, I feel that way, no matter how much schooling I get, no matter how successful I am at work, I still always feel like I have to prove myself. And that's, to me, it's it's very unsettling. And um, something else I thought about was, um, I feel like sometimes we, or I'll just speak for myself, I feel like I carry the weight of the culture on my shoulder. So for example, if I'm at work and there's someone in the lobby that happens to be black and they're yelling and cursing and behave, misbehaving, I personally am embarrassed. And I'm like, why am I embarrassed? Like, I don't know that person, but I feel like that now the doctors and everyone else, they're looking at me 
and maybe they're not, but I just personally feel that. And I hate to constantly have that pressure as well. Even if I'm in a store, like I'm at the dollar store, I can feel that way. Um, like I said, that could be just my, the way I feel, but I know a couple of other people who will say, oh my, oh my gosh, you know, why are they doing that? Whereas if there was a white person throwing something in the store, another white person would just maybe laugh or just say, oh my gosh, they're, they're acting up, but they wouldn't feel embarrassed. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. You say that because um, we talk about this all the time on the podcast. Essence, how many times have you said, I'm not going to speak for all of black America, right? Like it's unfair that any individual should represent every other person in that category, right? Like I don't represent all women. I don't represent all white people. And I definitely don't feel that burden, but there is this kind of sense that you somehow represent all of black America, which is absurd, but it's there for sure. George Floyd's murder has been awakening to me in so many ways not just in, I mean, for, I would hope for many white people and non-Black people that it was an awakening to that unveiled racism in this country. But for me, it has been exactly what Tierra has described. And so many times that I bring up on this podcast is that feeling of representing the whole race when someone speaks or someone is acting in a way that a white person describes us. Cause that's seriously what it is right here. Mm-hmm. It's, right, exactly. it's that it's fallen into that. Yep. That angry black woman, black man mood. And after George Floyd's murder, I feel like there has been such an awakening in me that I, I frankly don't care anymore. And I don't know what coach said this in the NFL, but basically I, I frankly feel like I am who you thought I was. So if you mm-hmm. see that person in the lobby that is um, angry or whatever, whatever, that has nothing to do with me. And if, if that if you feel that that person represents me, then the problem is with you. Right. And I had to, to feel that and own that. So I have recently so I've been so I got two examples where Tierra, I like tried that theory out. Right. And I'm like, OK, since you can say that you don't feel like you represent the entire black community and everybody stands as an individual. But when the when the heat comes, will you actually represent in that way? So two examples I can give you is I've seen someone on TV, I think um, after her brother was killed and she was like the fr- the um, forefront of like r- right next to Jesse Jackson and with Al Sharpton. And I, I will say that I know that people watched her and thought that she was not as eloquent or as professional or what have you. And I said to myself, and I actually think my husband was like, I, I wish I wish that she could say it differently. And I was just like, she's saying what she means. Who cares? Let this woman speak. There is so much pain right now. Who cares? Why is anybody judging how she is expressing herself? Uh, and another example I can think of, I, I've been also the black woman in the store with another black woman who was flipping out on the cashier, but I started to listen to why she was flipping out and she too. So right. I, I just have, I've been testing out my theory and I just have been saying, if, if that's who they think we are anyway, then, then why even try to combat it? Just continue to try to be you. Right. So I really have been trying to do that over this past year. Yeah, th- that's a that's a great point. Craig, what about you? What are what are some of the the difficult things that you have experienced as a result of being a black man in America? Wow. Because I I can't just answer this question just with like one sentence. Like Yeah. I, there's it's literally it's a struggle every single day. As soon as I open my eyes. <laughs> I mean, I'm in my own house, but like number 1, I always tell everybody around me, but mainly when I'm speaking to our women. So my mom, you know, always looking after me, wanting to make sure that I'm going to return home. So when I leave out the house, I'm worried for them because they're worried about me. Number one, I'm a man. Number two, I'm black. That's like, it's like I'm walking around with two, like, like they're like, I got loaded guns automatically. I'm a threat automatically before I even open my mouth. Before anybody knows that I'm, I'm educated, I'm a college grad with a bachelor, 
I'm a Circle of Excellence Award winner in New Jersey for, as a realtor. All my accolades, I, I automatically walk outside and I feel like I'm, I'm a target. The world will be a, the world being afraid of you. So you, I'm, I'm just always walking with caution while still trying to stand firm as a man. Because I'm, I'm a prideful uh, alpha male where I, I, I'm not afraid of anybody, but I'm also fearful for how the women in my family will be left if my pride will get me into a situation that I'm, I'm in the breaking some hearts because my life means something to them. So it's, it's a hard, it's a happy medium that we're trying to walk all the time. Now, granted, I've mastered it now. I stay out of trouble. I'm not, I'm not in no, no riffraff, but it's just being, being a black male. Here's an example. Every day I'm in the car, whether if I'm doing, everything is legal, nothing's wrong. If I drive past a cop, for some reason, my body, I tense up. I'm looking in my rearview mirror all the time. There's not one, I can drive past four cops, <laughs> four minutes apart. I'm going to look in my rearview mirror at those cops to see if he's going to do a U-turn or something's happening. I don't know if anybody else deals with that, you know, women or, or, or white male. I can't speak for them, but I know all of my friends, all of my boys, we all say the same thing. I do as well. Um, yes. And then, and business wise, I wrote this down. I have to understand that I have to work for less for a certain amount of time that I, I don't know when that time will be until I'm actually paid my just due. So I, I've, I've worked in, in like financial service, just let's say servicing people directly, like sales. I have a, a marketing and sales background. So a lot, since I've been out of college as an 18, 19 year old young man, I would have to be invited into someone's home sit down with them at the kitchen table and present, present whatever kind of product. I've done so many different uh, multi-level marketing companies, financial services. I've done a lot of this heart to heart. I'm sitting at the table talking to you and your husband. And I will say every time I walk in and I know it's someone that looks like me, I don't really get nervous. Like I, I'm not really a nervous person. If it's someone that doesn't look like me, but let, I, I've gone inside of an Indian home. I'm fine. A, a Hispanic home. I'm fine. If I walked inside of a, a Caucasian home, like Tierra said, I automatically when I walk in, I feel judged. I'm thinking in my, and I'm, it could be just what I'm putting in my own head. Uh, it, do I, am I dressed uh, appropriately? I don't want to walk in and give like a thuggish look. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, worried about, I have locks. So I'm worried about if my locks are going to give me away. Am I, am, Am I going to be too aggressive walking in here? Um, there has been times where I'll get through the presentation and I know I'm blown and gone. I'm hitting every point. Husband is agreeing with me, everything, but I can't close business. Just for some reason, they, they just they won't they won't they won't close. They won't sell to me or they won't sign on a dotted line. And then I can turn around and see them close three weeks later or sign a contract three weeks later. It, it, it's an invisible line where no one's saying, hey, we didn't sign with you because you're black. But it makes me say, I don't know what other reason why. And I try not to put that in my head because that's going to be a negative thought and it's going to hinder me in my business. But it is a challenge that I will ask myself why. I've had guys who I thought were, I wasn't going to call them best friends, but in high school, I've played football with them. I mean, we hung out. We dated girls together. We did a lot of things together intimate as as really good friends who were white and now we're older you know growing families you know you guys Rebecca and Tierra you guys don't know me as a realtor but I I'm, I'm heavy on social media all these guys will see me working I I've had four really really close pals that I grew up with not even call me for an interview to sit down and talk about selling their home and they know that I'm a single dad I have my son their dollars are going to be going into feeding my child without even interviewing me. They would, you know, they listed their homes with other realtors and sold and, and purchased homes through other realtors. And when I reach out to them, because I'm, I'm the kind of person that we're friends, like I've, I've eaten at your parents' home, sat at the table with you guys. If it was somebody that wasn't as close to me, I would let it go. Right. But something that close, I went to a buddy's, my one friend, his mom passed away. I was at his mom's funeral. I was there at the repass. He, he, he still gave his business to an agent that didn't know him at all. 
And when I reached out to him, I'm like, yo, man, like, what's up, bro? Like, we, 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 I thought we was cool. Like, we did a whole lot together. He, it was a BS answer. He threw it on his wife. Oh, I was away, man. My wife set it all up. It's like, come on, man. We, <laughs> no married couples make decisions without talking to each other. I'm not, I'm not saying that you had to give me the business, but I would have respected you more if you called me for an interview and allow me to interview with you. And then you deny me because of whatever. You just didn't like something that I did. And that would have gave me the right constructive criticism to make me better on the next one. But to not even get an opportunity, I don't know what other reason I'm, I'm left with outside of what I look like. So, Craig, that that's a really interesting point. And I, I this this kind of brings up something for me that I feel like we have to address this issue of friendships between blacks and whites or black people and white people, however you want to put it. Right. Like you you talked about your high school football buddies. Right. And I'm wondering, you know, is are the relationships that you have in high school, you know, some people they they stay and they last. But what about now as an adult, like the, do, you know, do you have friends that are white and what are those friendships like now? I, I know this is kind of a thorny issue and obviously I'm no, friends okay. with Tiara, I'm friends with Essence. And to me, these are, are real friendships, but we become friends as adults. So I'm curious, what is your perspective on kind of interracial friendship, if you don't mind? So, um, yeah, and I don't mind. Um, I would say so. There's a book that I've started reading that's called um, it's called Cry Like a Man. Um, again, growing up without a father, there are some things that you that we black males, I'll just speak for us. In, in my age group, I'm 34. A lot of my friends are starting to talk more about mental health, things that are bothering us mentally, things that we would be afraid to uh, normally talk about or, or express. So I can, if I can freely express it with you guys, while you asking me that, I'll be honest, it's hurt my feelings. Like it's, it's, it's broke me because a lot of these guys, like I love these guys. I really thought that we were closer than, than, than what we are now, you know? Excuse me, because it makes me choke up. Like in high school, we were really, really good friends. And as we got older, I don't know. I don't know why things changed. It never changed with me. You know, I, I, would, I would still reach out if I saw them. The love would always still be there, but I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a people person and I'm big on energy and I can feel someone's energy and when it's not the same. And if I was talking to those guys right now, I would just say like, my, I was heartbroken. I still am. Tiara, what about you and, and interracial friendship? What does that look like in your life? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I feel like I've tried to do that even in high school and throughout college but I felt like there was always a disconnect. So we could be super close, hang out. We would go drink and have fun. And we would even spend a night over each other's house and tell secrets or whatever. Mm -hmm. However, there always felt like there was something missing mm -hmm. where I, I felt that they didn't receive me the same way that I received them or that they just maybe didn't, they would never understand me and so if I'm going to give them an issue, if I'm going to tell them something that I'm going through, they're not going to even be able to relate. Mm -hmm. And so I just felt like, wow, I would call them my friend. I would never say that they were my best friends because we never got to that level. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if that was because of me or because of them, but it just never felt genuine, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. going through, you know, now I have friendships yeah. with people, um, that are white, but even still, I feel like um, if I were to explain maybe something that I'm going through with my mom or my dad or lack of, you know, they 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 just wouldn't understand. Mm. Yeah, Rebecca, I wanted to chime in because there's another I wanted to add in. It was challenging. Like, so again, I'm the kind of friend. This was I'm just paint a picture about myself in high school for football. Uh, we had Friday night games. And our Friday night games, we would always have like spaghetti dinners. Mm -hmm. um, we were, I don't know, I'm, still to this day, I never understood that why you would eat a bunch of spaghetti and then go play. Like, <laughs> it makes sense. But our spaghetti dinners, obviously, is we, our school, we had a lot of Italian families. So the Italian moms would come and cook the big spaghetti dinners. And someone on the team would be chosen to uh, say grace, do the, do the grace for, for dinner all the time. 
I was around a bunch of shy, shy kids. So I was always a person, either me or was a guy, Dennis, Dennis Nelson, that did our, our grace. So I'm, I'm just painting the picture. I'm the same kid that says to Grace, holding your mom's hands after they all just finished cooking dinner. You know, I'm coming to your house afterwards. You know, we won the game and I'm eating dinner at your table yeah. with your mom and your dad. Now, not to mention the oldest brother may have younger sisters. OK, never said anything to the sisters because I'm, you know, just that's my buddy. I'm just saying it's, it doesn't have to do it with anything with race. It's more of respect. That's my 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 friend. I don't want to try to date his younger sister. Had nothing. You could be black or white. I'm just respecting you as a friend. Mm-hmm. I find out the father is opposed to the daughters dating any black men. They should have no type of connection to a black man. But I'm okay with being friends with your son, and I can come eat at your table, and I can pray. We can pray to the same Lord, and we can, you know, we can do all that. But I don't have the best interest of your daughter. Right. As I got older, it just it bothered me that these and then my friends wouldn't step up to their fathers like like these guys aren't. Now, granted, you got some who, excuse my language, are assholes. I wouldn't want my daughters with them. (laughs) But that's white, black, Spanish. This men, some men are just bad, but it doesn't define an entire race. Yeah, we um, we talked about this on the sports episode. We we talked about how you know in the locker room, you know Carl was on the episode and um, Pop was on the episode, and we talked about how you know black and white will come together in the locker room, but then it's like you can rally around uh, you know the common you know the the team support and and goal but then like you go your separate ways and suddenly it's like oh yeah you, you can't date my my sister or my daughter or whatever right and then it just um you know last episode we were talking about race and religion and i shared a story of you know a of family friend of my ex-husband's and and guy was a pastor right you know supposedly believes everyone's equal in, in jesus's eyes but when his daughter dated a black guy you know he was his wife was beside herself, right? It caused all this like family drama. And it's like, you know, where you you say you're not racist, you say you don't have, or you don't have racist ideas. And then, but you live your way and you live your life in this really illogical way where there, where the racism shows and, and maybe not so obvious things, but yeah, you're, you're saying grace around a table, you're eating their food, your friends, you're playing on the team, but then you know, when the rubber hits the road, it's like, do you really have my back? Do you really right. love me? Do you really accept me as I am? Or do you always view me as other, mm-hmm. you know? Right. And I'm, I wish that I honestly, I swear to this day, I wish that I can remove that thought out of my head of being viewed as an other. Cause I think it would help me a lot when I'm going in on my presentations, Me too. but I, 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 I it's, it's indoctrinated in me so much that it just, it, it just comes out of me. It just, and I, I'm, I'm praying that it comes out of me, but every day I'm reminded, you know, I just saw the video today of a eight, eight year old boy that was shot in the arm by a little, by an Asian guy. Mm-hmm. Like, it's like every day it's just like, but I'm, and I don't know, for me, I just feel like we all have our own gripes and our own paths and issues that we all go through. So no, if you complain, nobody's really listening. But it's it, it it's hard on, on all sides, I would just say. I love that the dynamic is seeming to change, especially in Craig, who started off with the viewpoint of, yes, it's challenging, but what are you going to do about it? But as you begin to step back into those personal stories and relive that pain, it's it's hard not to want your oppressor to to feel that. Um, so sp- speaking of, of feeling each other's pain, Tierra, what, what do you, what would you say are some struggles or stereotypes that you see black men facing or, or dealing with in this country? Yeah. So I would say the struggle of being angry. I'm, I'm not sure if that's gender specific only because we really when black women really get that, um, tag, but being angry and 
being, as Craig stated earlier, very safe and, and careful. You know, you have to constantly, I, I noticed this in my patients, um, my patients that come into the office. I noticed that um, I will see them being treated a, a, a different way than the white men are treated mm-hmm. or even just approached a different way, um, almost approached in a fear. I've even had, and this is somewhere I've worked years ago, but I've even had someone tell me, ask me to go in the room with them because they were afraid. And the way that they worded it was, um, I want you to go in the room with me so that he's comfortable. And I was so confused because a majority of our patients are were the underserved community, but it, what not many black men, you know? So, um, but it was a very tall and very built black guy. And he was very loud and um, laughing. And he was very rambunctious, you know? Um, I thought he was hilarious, but <laughs> apparently everyone else was afraid. Um, and just so seeing that and seeing how I, I, I love this guy. Like I was, I heard his voice and I came out of my office like, oh, who's that? You know, cause he was telling jokes. And um, like I said, he had a very deep, loud voice. It was very big. And the physician literally asked me to go in the room while she treated him. She just wanted me in there. And I, I just was so offended. And the whole time the guy had no idea. He even said, you're the best doc. I really like you. I'm going to keep, you know, he just had no idea that what had happened before you know? And so I, I I constantly see, um, even just, just, just like in everyday life, not even at work, just seeing a black man and and constantly being portrayed as a thug Mm -hmm. of some sort, and maybe the way he's dressed or the way he talks. And that's, that really bothers me. It really bothers me. Well, I see my women being just being considered angry, difficult, uh, misunderstood, uncompromising. And a lot of those words are used to describe women when our women, when, when no one, no one will put the magnifying glass on the cause. They'll mention the effects of everything, but nobody will go back to say, well, what's caused her if she's angry, what caused her to be that way? Not saying it's right, but how about we just dive into the past? Um, I wrote, you know, they were forced to be strong. Um, they were divided from their men. So as a woman, as God made, if, if God's purpose for a woman to have a man to lead, um, you know, nurture her, uh, do all these different things that, you know, a man is made to do and what a woman is here to do, you remove that man out of her life. So she 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 has to do everything. Not only is she having to do what she was born to do, she has to learn and adapt to be what a man would have to do as well for her family. So once she masters that and the kids, her daughters are growing up learning the same exact thing. It's just um, a culture that it's like a factory, you know, that it's, you just keep seeing a bunch of strong, independent women, this strong, independent black woman theme is constantly being pumped out. You keep single, single moms. It's a never ending cycle of men who aren't taught or really know how to lead a family and grow a family and respect themselves to, to really grow a, a, to build a family. You know, we, we, we create this statistic and, and make difficult situations for our women. And then our women have to turn around and be stronger than us and be independent to build the next generation. And then when she turns around and still try to be herself soft, you know, because a woman wants to be soft, vulnerable, and, and allow someone to come in and protect and comfort her. My, my woman can't because she's always forced to be the, 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 the brunt end of all force for her family. If, if, you, if she doesn't have majority, don't have the right man there to do it. And normally it's a woman, whether if it's the grandmother who's leading the family, mom, uh, young mom, it, it's, it's a hard, happy medium for the black woman to meet being a strong woman, you know, because, uh, you know, women are big on like income. She's making her own money, you know, all that kind of stuff. But then she also wants to have a strong man that can just support her that she can home, come home to 
and share everything with. And it's hard to have that dynamic if your man is removed out of the house for all these other, you know, factors that we can throw in there. So you've mentioned um, a lot of interesting things about the dynamics uh, that both men and women face in the Black community. I want to ask you about a topic that um, when it's come up with some of my other friends or acquaintances, I'm always a little surprised at how feminism is received in or, or what it seems to me how feminism is received within the black community. And again, I'm sure it, it depends on who you're talking to, but can you in general speak about, you know, are there still these very um, defined roles of, you know, how a woman should be, how a man should be, or do you think that um, there is movement towards equality in the black community? Tara, I'll start with you on that one. I think that the, the label of a strong black woman is something we hear over and over and over again. And um, I personally feel like I don't always want to be that. And I envy the white woman for being able to be vulnerable and dainty and maybe uh, need, God forbid, need a man, mm. you know, I, you know, if I say that, then I'm considered weak, that I need a man. But if a white woman was to say that, it would just be she needs a companion, mm. you know, but for me, it's like, but you're a strong black woman, you don't need a man. No, but I, I do, you know, I do need that. And I think that plays into the roles of the woman having to be like Craig said, the man, and maybe that's okay for some people. But for me, I, I would love to be the traditional mm. woman. Um, and I make, say that. yeah, okay. <laughs> whatever you want. <laughs> In my relationship, I'm the breadwinner. Right. Um, and however, I, I'm, I'm not throwing it in my uh, partner's face saying, I'm, I'm strong. I'm a strong black woman. I make more money than you. I, I'm, you, you're going to listen to me, you know, and it's, I, I don't think that, I think that that's kind of like a blurred line in our community as mm. to where the black, what the black women, black woman can, what role she has to play. Mm. You're kind of told that you need to be by our parents, by our grandparents, you know, you don't need a man, but no, why not? Yeah. You know? Yeah. That That's an interesting perspective on, on it. I had never thought of it that way. And I, so I grew up in a family where there were like these super defined gender roles where the man was the head and earned the money and the, you know, the wife stayed at home and took care of the kids. And I, I kind of like, I don't know, rebelled against that. Like I, I wanted something different for myself, but you're kind of, you're kind of saying the same thing, but from the flip side, right? Like you've always been told you got to be the strong person. And you're like, well, what if I don't want to be, what if I want to like do something different? And, um, that's that's an interesting perspective. Craig, what do you what do you think about the issue of feminism in the black community? So I would say just to add on to Tierra's point, because I will say the, the counter, it's OK to to need us because it's OK for us to say we need y'all like we, we need our woman just as much as they need us. Um, I feel a lot of the feminism movement to me personally it's more of a, it was a division. It was a, um, a creative veil to divide. And I feel our, my ancestors, my grandparents who were a part of that movement, I under, it was a lot of stuff going on back in the day. So people had to bound, like bound together, but our women didn't need, wasn't going through the same problems or, or let's say any woman that wasn't black was not going through the same exact problems that the black woman was going through. So for the black woman to be brought into this feminism movement, like, hey, come band with us, sister, join our movement because we're, we're being oppressed as women. Our women were still like, wait a second, we can't just leave our house because we don't even have a man in the house to watch these kids. Right. You, you can go and pick it and all that because your husband is still taking care of everything. My husband is killed or he's in jail or he's wherever you get what I mean like we so but we I'm not going to say they brainwashed our women but our women was forced to think this 
it, we, we have to be so strong to take care of everything. And I put blame on us as men. It's okay. You said something to you about, um, you know, for being the, the breadwinner. I learned from going through church and, and learning really what the Christian head really means. Um, it doesn't always surround, you know, financially, like, like someone is, the, it, it, it mainly is like, to my, to my knowledge, like, listen, I, I want to be the, the full veil of protection for my woman. So if we go somewhere and, and there's negotiation that needs to be done, we're going into a car, please. I need, I, I want my woman to feel secure. She's on my arm and I'll do the talking for us. So not that you have, you can't talk, but just more as I'm not going to let this guy try to take advantage of us. So I'm protecting this situation. We're, we're at the, I still feel we, we stand the same. I, I told you guys, I used to research, um, African history and Egyptian um, stuff. You see a lot of those like uh, pictures. You would see the depiction of a of a pharaoh and a queen right next to each other. No one was in front. No one was behind. So nobody was superior in that family. Everybody everybody has a role. And I think the the hardest job in this in this world is raising is taking care of the household. So right. some someone tricked our women to think. That job was is meek. You are less than if you stay home and just take care of the kids and make sure the house is okay. And no, like our kids would nurture a lot better if someone was home to be able to do that. And if I can go out and go kill and take on all the blows and bring everything back to support us, to allow you to then take the baton and take care of everything inside, that's the happy medium that I feel like our families are, are, are missing. I really struggle with um, the feminist movement because um, like I told you, Becky, previously, I have never in my life felt that I was treated a certain way because I was a woman. Never. It just never, ever came into my mind that this person is doing this because I'm a woman. It's always been because I'm black. Mm. And I don't know if that's because I don't have I, I'm, I'm not able to pull back those layers mm. or if it's like kind of like Craig said, I've really never had the privilege or our people have never had the privilege to say I want to I want to, you know, stand stand for women because we've already only had to do that. Mm. And so for me, I just always feel like there's always groups of people that want to be oppressed and and I'm and I'm not saying that women of the feminist movement necessarily want to be oppressed, but I come into these situations on social media where I'm saying something the way I feel, and then someone will comment, "Well, the, I I deal with the same thing because I'm a woman," and I'm like, "No, you don't. Yeah. You don't. Or if you do, then that's different. Like we're not going to equate what I'm dealing with." with 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 what you're dealing with you know we can have two separate issues but it's almost like a pissing contest yeah it's what it feels like to me it, it lacks empathy absolutely yeah to, that's really basically what it is you have i can't tell you the way you're feeling and your your experience is equivalent or any different than mine's if you felt that way that's how you felt i need to empathize with you and listen to what you're saying right this is where intersectionality comes into play because, you know, if you're depending on, you know, what different marginalized group you may be part of, you may have multiple things, quote unquote, against you. Right. So it's actually funny that you bring up that issue of, of, you know, well, I'm a woman, so I get it because that's actually, I think one of the things that essence you and I really first bonded over, you know, I remember sitting, having conversations with you about my experience in business as a woman and then Essence is like, yeah, and and this is what it's like as a black woman. And she took it a layer deeper. Mm -hmm. And instead of me, it, it wasn't a one-up thing. It was like, wow, so your pain goes even another layer deeper. And it like, it was very eye-opening. And I think I know there's been a lot of criticism uh, leveled against the feminist movement by women of color because they feel like partitioned off. 
and not included because the issues that black women are facing are different than the issues that white women are facing. They don't feel that there's space in that community for Mm -hmm. them. And I think it's a valid criticism, right? Because it's not the same issues. Like what I'm facing as a businesswoman, yeah, I have obstacles against me. I'm not facing the same obstacles you're facing. And it's unfair for me to pretend that they're the same. Mm-hmm. So. Hey, like I like I always say, Becky, I'm black first, right. then I'm a woman. Right, right. As you're, you're born into um, needing to have this armor when you're black. You're born into the war. So that is what we first identify with versus um, being able to identify with the feminist movement and being a woman, as, as Craig said, who's watching these babies as I'm out here <laughs> fighting on the front lines with you. So excellent point. One of our final questions is how can, I think we spend a lot of time on the podcast talking about what non-Blacks and white people can do to progress forward. So in your opinion, Craig, what are some things that the Black community can do to progress forward despite the racial inequality that continues to plague our community? Well, kind of like what's been my mantra through this podcast is like, you know, Essence was mad at me. I remember we, when George Floyd, um, Joyce Floyd uh, murder happened, we had a march in, in, in my community. So there was marches happening all over America. I'm probably the one of the most vocal people, but I wasn't there. I didn't show up for the march. And literally, you know, 20 minutes after the march ended, everybody gathered at Essence's house. And I, and I went over there to talk about it. And my reasoning behind that is, what can we do? Stop marching, stop doing and repeating what we've done for history because it hasn't gotten us anywhere. That's my first thing. That's been my mantra. Stop repeating what we've already done up until now because it's not going to fix anything. So stop looking for handouts. We got to figure it out on our own. Uh, Stop expecting a fair treatment because it's not going to happen. You have to figure, we have to come together. So, uh, you know, communities or individuals, groups, come together to figure out how we can create our own atmospheres, tables, whatever it will be. Like I gave the example of unfair appraisal treatments. How do you fix that? Become educated and teach our young people more about homes and real estate and not you know, be going to the NFL and the NBA and I can probably get more black appraisers out here to come appraise these houses. Um, I feel like once we can start creating and dictating our own tables and our own atmospheres. Once we create this atmosphere, then we can, we'll be able to dictate the rules to change, you know, turn out a better future. Uh, But until that's done, we're going to continuously be the same. Like I'm very, very radical. Like, like I, I was telling me and me and Essence's husband, we'll talk, you know, with the NFL, how the NFL, some of their choices, some of their rules, you know, with the kneeling with Kaepernick and all that. And I'll say, you know what? The NFL is ran by 99% white men, billionaires. How do we fix it? We can't because they own it all. How about we get our own billionaires to put their money together and when we open up our own football league? All the black people are pretty much the best players in the NFL anyway, so if we can move all the black people over to the black NFL football league I said that will probably then bring the money because all the uh, endorsements and TV people want to see the most entertaining athletes in the new league. That's where my mind goes. Like I, I'm, I'm, you don't got to ask for people. They're not going to change. Figure out how to create your own. And then I know I'm, I have faith in my people that we're not, we're not evil or spiteful. We'll create the right plat- uh, platform and atmosphere, and then we will do what's right. We would treat all people fairly and give all people an equal opportunity. Yeah, I agree with Craig and um, having people of color in those spaces of power. Um, When I was just, again, working in California, I was in Oakland and we were given the vaccine. And um, I was part of the unit that was in the mobile unit for the underserved community. And I noticed that um, a lot of the Hispanic and African-American 
people that were coming to take the shots, they would sit there, but then they were hesitant. And when I would get off of the mixing where I was to mix the vaccine and they would see, well, all the nurses were black, by the way. I don't, I don't know how that happened. It just happened to happen that way. And when they would see us, they would feel so relieved. Mm. I mean, even, even just the one, the one guy I explained to him, um, he had some ridiculous myth that he heard on social media about the vaccine having unborn white fetuses in it. I mean, just ridiculous things. And I mean, but he really believed this. So there's so much misinformation. And when someone looks like you, you, you are, you feel safer. And I, I, I was so like relieved to see that, or I was, I was happy to see that I was able to make that impression. And the fact that I'm going to school to be a nurse practitioner, I'll be able to help the community by building trust, you know, and also I wanted to talk about um, having, when we have people that are in HR, like that do the hiring. Um, recently with COVID, a lot of uh, interviews have been virtual, which is interesting because I've noticed a lot of people of color are being hired, at least in my circle, a lot of people are just getting jobs. Um, I know that there are a lot of people that aren't working as well, but a lot of people that I know that are having trouble, they're getting jobs. And when I asked them, oh, did you have to go in for your interview? They did it over the phone. It wasn't even virtual. And so I think that that's an advantage. And I mm -hmm. tell so many people to, um, to apply for jobs and do the process. And an interesting thing is um, I'm not currently employed at one place. I'm doing agency. And I interviewed with someone and the woman on the phone with me, she was so impressed with my resume and so impressed with me. And she wanted me to take the job. And then at the last minute, my recruiter called and said she wanted to do a video call with me. And, I'm, and, I, and I said, why? I didn't understand why. I don't know if maybe that's an HR thing. Maybe that can be explained to me. But I really didn't understand why she wanted to see me. Like, what does seeing me have to do with getting the job? Mm -hmm. And I think um, kind of like when Craig said that people aren't going to change, I think that we need to hold people accountable. Mm. And so I asked her why in the email. I wanted to know why. And she didn't have an answer. And she actually said, um, actually, don't worry about it. I'll just see you on Wednesday. Because why, you know, I, I think she really, by my voice, she maybe didn't, she couldn't tell like what color I was. I'm not sure. Or maybe, maybe that wasn't the issue. But I, I just think that was very weird that yeah, she wanted to yeah. see me and that a lot of my friends that were having trouble getting jobs are now getting jobs off of just the phone call. Mm, that's interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, thank you both. Um, we really appreciate the vulnerability and the stories you've shared here. This has been so eye-opening. Um, it makes me sad to hear some of these things. Like I, 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 I wish it weren't this way. Um, and the more we, the more podcasts we do, I, I just feel like the more, the more we uncover, right? There, there's, this is like an onion, right? There's like so many layers and it's hard to know um, what can be done first, but I think, you know, having these conversations and even sharing ideas, you know, for other people to implement in their lives. Like, I think, you know, the, the appraiser suggestion, Craig, like, that's awesome. I never even thought about that, but what a great idea. Right. And I, I will continue to go back to this theme that where there, you know, he who holds the purse holds the power. Right. So at the end of the day, money is Follow what's going to change it. Follow the money. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, so unfortunately, that is that is the way this country runs. So but thank you both for for joining us. We really thank appreciate you. it. Thank you for having us. This was definitely um, a good experience. Um, if you ever want to welcome me back on, I'll definitely come back on and, you know, share more, more, uh, more, more info. Yeah, same. Thank you. Thank you both so much. Thank you for listening to The Heart of the Matter in Black and White. Please join us next time when we will be discussing racism in the eyes of children. Yeah.
One take. Modus the one. I love you, mommy. If these walls could talk, they tell you about my life. Let's get into the heart of the matter in black and white. No second chances, no opportunities in sight. Cause dreams of escaping is boosting my appetite. What's the American dream? White picket fences, couple kids, couple bands, it's the American scheme. If you're from where I'm from, and they be burying teens and burying dreams. Really some embarrassing things. Institutional change, generational things. Systematic oppression, generational pain. Welcome to the show where we break it down for you, man. Cause if we don't talk about it, then these things will never change. You claim to be an ally, you really feeling us. But is equality worth that privilege you've given up? Look yourself in the mirror and ask yourself. Is my equality worth that privilege you've given up?